Well, hi again. Let's pull another book off the bookshelf. This is Gary Zacharias. I want to look uh, for the second time at a book called The Heresy of Orthodoxy by Kostenberger and Kruger. And uh, what, I, what I really like about this book is they capture what's going on today. They said we have a kind of a, the spirit of the age is diversity, and they call that the new gospel, the new orthodoxy. And what it does is try to challenge the claim that uh, Jesus and these early Christians taught a unified message. And they th say, no, and there's a man uh, named Walter Bauer and somebody you'll recognize, Bart Ehrman. They are, first of all, they, or they will argue that diversity today is good and that historic Christianity was too narrow. But they go beyond that. They say the whole idea of orthodoxy is actually a fabrication, that there was diversity way back when, in the very first century. And they said there's no such thing as Christianity in the singular. There were Christianities. There were all sorts of versions of belief, and all of them claimed to be Christian. And they all were equally legitimate. So I would like to look at one chapter called Heresy in the New Testament. How early was it? So they're maintaining, of course, that there is all this diversity there. And so orthodoxy comes later, according to them. And uh, said Bauer actually is ignoring the New Testament evidence, and he thinks he finds all sorts of evidence for early heresy and only later orthodoxy, and so does Ehrman. Bart Ehrman does the same thing. And so Ehrman will go to second century uh, diversity that he says happened in the church, and it was later church councils that came up with the idea of orthodoxy. But these two authors say that the New Testament actually has a very different picture. There is not widespread diversity with regards to some essential doctrines. Most importantly, how do you get saved and who is Jesus? Their claim is that there is a fixed set of early core beliefs that were shared by mainstream Christianity. Now, they agree that there was some flexibility in non-essentials, but in those places there was tolerance. But there was such a thing as heresy, and they did not tolerate certain aspects of these beliefs. And so, they said, you know, if we're talking orthodoxy, we should probably define it. So they say it's correct teaching regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ, like ways of salvation and things like that. So here's the question. Were there, was there a correct teaching regarding Jesus in the first century? Was there some kind of standard? So what they do is they go through here and they start off by, and this is, a, let me get the chapter number in case you have your book. This is chapter three of their book. So they start off with the reliability of the gospel witness. And they go to a book that I have read before, and it's really powerful. They go to Richard Bauckham's book. He wrote something called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he's made a great case that the New Testament gospels were eyewitness testimony, definitely eyewitness testimony. And that the apostles were not just authors and, and the sources of information, but they provided, I guess what you'd call quality control when the uh, transmission of the gospel tradition went on, and that's the period during which the New Testament writings were produced. So they not only wrote, but they made sure that their message was shepherded along and became what the church bought into then. So there's not a span of all these decades between Jesus' days and the times when the gospels got written and no control mechanism. That's not true. Uh, it says, rather, the apostles played an active role during the entire process. And says it finally culminated in the composition of the canonical Gospels. So he said, if you take a look, for example, like Mark, he was the interpreter of Peter. 
Luke, he acknowledged he was not himself an eyewitness, but he wrote his account on the basis of people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry. And they, he, the two authors say the early church distinguished quite clearly between documents produced during the apostolic period and the writings later. There's a huge difference between that. And then I thought this is a really key part here. They said there are no other surviving documents that is reliable and is historically close to Jesus and the early days of the church as the writings in the New Testament. Okay, so that's key. So he says, let's start with, with that, right? Let's, let's go with that. Um, they say, can our accurate history be written by winners? That's a real suspicious thing there. Hmm, these people won, so therefore they got to write the history. Bart Ehrman, for example, argues you can never rely on the enemy's reports for a fair presentation. So he's saying the New Testament writers have to be neutral, and they said that's unfair. All writers are biased, they claim, and I would agree with that. They said even Ehrman, of course he's biased. So it says that doesn't mean that the New Testament authors couldn't offer a fair and balanced portrait of early Christianity. I remember J. Warner Wallace coming up with an illustration. He said, if a man comes into a bank to rob it, and one of the tellers recognizes him from high school days, and then later is brought in by the police to describe what went on, they're not going to say, well, we can't trust her testimony or his testimony because this person knew the uh, perpetrator. So I think this it makes sense here. The New Testament authors definitely could offer a fair and balanced portrait of early Christianity. Um, so the rest of this chapter deals with New Testament data with regards to this idea of orthodoxy and heresy. So he said there was uh, clearly a diversity of opinion regarding Jesus' identity at the beginning when Jesus starts ministering. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, and Jesus, and Jesus commends him as, you know, you, you got on, you caught on to something there, divine revelation. So that indicated Jesus accepted only one idea of who he was, that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament messianic predictions. And he said his whole church would be built on this confession of who he was. Pretty, pretty crucial. Widespread Christian conviction had to be that Jesus was the Messiah and he was God. And the other apostles, in turn, were instructed and they were trained and they were commissioned to pass on this message of Jesus to succeeding generations. So you look at Matthew 28 or Luke 24 and John 20 and Acts 1. And so this witness was consistent with Old Testament prophecies. You see that in Luke 24. So the New Testament message is actually continuity between the Old Testament, Jesus, and the apostles. So Luke when he's describing the early church, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we have this group of believers, and they're propagating a message that did not originate with them. And he says, if you, uh, they say, if you look at the book of Acts, great value is placed on continuity between the teachings of the early church and the teachings of Jesus. So in Acts 1, for example, uh, it says Judas's replacement had to be an eyewitness of the events that happened in the life of Jesus. And in the rest of the book of Acts, the early Christians are shown to preach uh, unanimously that Jesus was the one who crucified and then was raised from the dead. That, there was no doubt. There's no question about that one. Well, what about Paul, who came along then? So they take you to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. 
And uh, that's the one that says, uh, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached, which which you received. And it says, if you hold fast to it, I delivered to you what I received. So Paul's message says, I didn't originate it. I got a message that I received, and I'm just passing it along. And that's in accordance with the scriptures, he says. So the way Paul saw it, the message he preached was not his own. It was God's message. Um, According to Paul, the scriptures in their entirety that it taught in a nutshell was what gospel Paul was proclaiming. A person can be made right with God through believing in his son, Jesus. The authors also say if you look at some uh, indications of the early church beliefs, look at their hymns and their other creeds and things like that that were in the New Testament. So, for example, Philippians 2, 6 to 11, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, those are early Christian hymns. And they definitely show the same idea of who Jesus was. Uh, Paul's highlighting the supremacy of Jesus in there when he pulls out those creeds and puts them in there. Now, he didn't originate these. These go back really, really close to the time of Jesus. Uh, They have a high Christology, and to be that early. So things didn't change. There was one view of Jesus back then and who he was. They said another place that you can look at early orthodoxy in the New Testament is confessional formulas. For example, Jesus is Messiah. Where do we see that? Mark 8, John 11, Matthew 16, Acts 2, Ephesians 1. Here's another confessional formula. Jesus is Lord. We get that in Romans 10, verse 9. That's one I like. Philippians 2.11, Colossians 2.6, John 20.28, and on and on. Then you get Jesus is the Son of God. That's Matthew 14, Mark 1, Mark 15, Luke 1, John 20, Acts 9, 2 Corinthians 1, Hebrews 10, 1 John 3. Wow. So there are some core beliefs that center on who Jesus is. There's no doubt about that. There's orthodoxy and there's unity. So I said the New Testament writers always testified to the belief that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. There wasn't any doubt about that. Um, Paul uses the term Christ all through the, his writings. And so we see again, it's, it's hammering on orthodoxy. This is the, the one true belief. So there's another feature that uh, suggests a standard of orthodoxy is their theological standards. So, for example, Jude says the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, verse 3, that's uh, predicated upon a fixed set of core Christian beliefs because once for all implies it's over, it's done, right? One, One time, here it is. So, summary. Here's toward the end of the chapter. What do they have to say here? The New Testament has credible and early witness to a unified doctrinal core. Unified, that's the key word. Remember the critics today are wanting diversity, but they're saying not true. And that was grounded in Old Testament messianic prophecy. Now we see it in the Gospels, we see it in what Paul said, we see it in what the early Christians preached. It was a gospel that centered on Jesus. It was on Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen according to the scriptures. We get hymns, we get confessional formulas, We get uh, theological standards, all of these combined to show very early New Testament Christianity was doctrinally united, it was unified, and it was in continuity with the Old Testament scriptures. Now, is there some diversity? They said, yes, there's a certain degree of legitimate or acceptable diversity that says it didn't uh, 
uh, I should say it this way, it doesn't compromise doctrinal unity. It just reflects different mutually reconcilable perspectives. So what are they talking about there? Well, uh, somebody says, well, take a look at the teachings of Jesus and theology of Paul. Aren't they different? And some see a difference between John and the other Gospels that are called the synoptics. A third difference, some people say, well, Paul of Acts is different from the Paul of the Epistles. Then there's a the fourth way that they say there are huge differences. The critics will say irreconcilable differences. It's Paul's theology changed over time. So as they wind up the chapter, they take each of these four alleged conflicts and show you that they're, if you scrutinize them, they do reconcile. So the first question, Jesus and Paul. Well, Paul's theology does expand what Jesus said, but it doesn't contradict it. Paul develops Jesus' teaching. Jesus didn't speak much about the church. Paul expands on it. He doesn't reject what Jesus said. Paul, uh, Jesus focused on his mission to Israel. Paul talked more about the believing Gentiles. Here's a second area that they said, uh, some of the critics say, shows a huge uh, irreconcilable area. is John and the Synoptic Gospels. And said, but just because they expand or further reflect on Jesus and all doesn't show contradiction. So I thought that was good. Here's the third area that people uh, complain about or say there's differences, that the way Luke portrays Paul in Acts is different from the way Paul portrays himself. But they said, you know, the book of Acts and Paul's letters aren't meant to be complete biographies. Luke wanted to present Paul as the leading proponent of the early church. And then the last one, number four, did Paul in Acts, be, did, was he different than Paul of his letters? That's the, the fourth one there. Did his theology change over time? But they said, you know, it's hard to date Paul's letters. So it's kind of hard to say he evolved his theology and it says there's no doubt he drew, uh, he developed and he did grow and emphasize some aspects more than others, but there's no indication that Paul thought his theology had changed. Nothing at all. All right, well, let me uh, wrap up here because I don't want to run this too long, but here's their conclusion in this chapter three. The New Testament writings have some legitimate theological diversity, but they're they're small and, and they... Um, they, they don't differ from, they just expand upon the basics of Christianity. Uh, the question is not whether there was diversity. That, yes, there was. The question is whether they, there was an infrastructure and mechanisms in place, they said, by which authentic Christianity could be passed along. And they did that through creeds and through confessional statements and things like that. And then they said, also, you got to question whether heresy was as widespread as some of these people like Bauer and, and Ehrman are saying. And it, was orthodoxy really late? And they're saying, no, absolutely not. Orthodoxy was way more widespread and pervasive than these critics allow. And heresy was a lot more limited and local than they suggest. So they said, you, you have to distinguish between legitimate diversity and mutually complementary perspectives. Then there's illegitimate diversity, and we don't see that. It says legitimate diversity doesn't detract from core beliefs in early Christianity. They were just different personalities. Uh, they got the, the gospel writings all put together and the New Testament put together. So they end up in the chapter by saying that that Bauer and Ehrman thesis is wrong. They've interpreted the data wrong, and they've got a flawed paradigm, a flawed way of looking at things. So that's the good news. 
orthodoxy was there from the very beginning. Well, a lot of information there, and I gave you some verses, um, things you might want to check up on for yourself. Uh, the book, again, is called The Heresy of Orthodoxy. Well, thank you for listening. We'll do another podcast soon.